If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want you to turn it to the book of Judges. Judges is in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 6. And uh, I, I love, if you've been here long enough at Westridge, you know I love the Old Testament. We'll normally do a series or two on an Old Testament character or a, or a portion of Scripture out of the Old Testament. And I, and I love the Old Testament because it is such a, from Genesis all the way till Malachi, it is, it is just a story of God's faithfulness to a group of people that were just constantly rebellious to him. And it's just a story of Jesus that runs all the way through Genesis all, up until the book of, of uh, to the book of Revelations. And um, one of my favorite portions of the Old Testament is the story of the judges. And um, many of you are familiar with the judges. Some of you, if you're new to Christianity or new to church, I want to welcome you uh, to, to Westridge, but I also want to introduce you this morning to, if I could, to, to the judges. The judges were individuals that were chosen to lead Israel between the time of Joshua and the time of the kings. And there were 12 judges in the Bible, 12 that we know by name, the most famous judge was, was a guy by the name of Samson, and Samson was very, no, very famous, well-known for his problem with women, and um, he had one woman in particular who was uh, his, probably his biggest thorn in the flesh, his downfall. Her name was Delilah, uh, just so you're aware she's not a host of a radio show. This is Delilah from the Old Testament. Uh, there was another judge by the name of Ehud, and Ehud was famous for being left-handed, and uh, he's also even more famous for uh, going into a bathroom and killing a grossly overweight uh, king, Moab, Moab, Moabite king by the name of Eglon. And um, the man was sitting on the toilet when he died. A tough way to die. Um, another judge was, was a woman. Her name was Deborah. And, um, and so for you ladies out there, I just want you to know there was a judge who was a woman. But the thing that we see about the judges is that every time Israel would fall away from God, God would send a judge to warn them of their sin. And sometimes he would, he would allow them to be led away either by their captors or he would allow their, an enemy nation to just oppress them. And one of the most repeated lines in the book of Judges is this. Once again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Once again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so we get into Judges chapter 6 and we find Israel in one of those moments where they're doing evil in the eyes of God. And so God raises up. He raises up this very unlikely man by the name of Gideon to lead Israel out of seven years of oppression. Seven year period of oppression they're in under the, the, the nation of, of Midian and also the Amalekites and there were some other nations that were involved in this. So the Bible tells us that he was the son of Joash... All right, who was an Abzerite. Now, the reason I say that is because he's not a very significant person in the Bible. Their business was farming. Matter of fact, when we're introduced to Gideon in, in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, what is he doing? Well, he's threshing wheat. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, threshing was the process that was used to separate grain from the husks. Now, why was, why was he threshing wheat in a wine press? I mean, what's up with that? Well, as Paul Richardson, who did such a great job last week, as he mentioned last week, Gideon was hiding. He was hiding uh, his family's food supply from the enemy. And he was scared to death. Matter of fact, Gideon had a problem with doubt. Gideon had a problem with insecurity. Gideon had a problem with fear. Now, why was he so afraid? And what was his problem here? Well, I'm sure there were many reasons uh, why Gideon was afraid, but the bottom line was, is he was overwhelmed by his circumstances. 
you look at verse 1, it says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. And for whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Verse 4, they would encamp them against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey for they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. All right? And Israel was brought very, and Israel was brought very low uh, because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the, uh, to the Lord. Now, if you know anything about the Israelites during the Old Testament, you know that they were constantly wandering from God. And nearly every time they did, they were led away, or they were led away into worshiping other, other gods. They, they, all of a sudden, they would just get right into idol worship. And even though they knew they were wrong, they, they, they knew the consequences of their actions, they would constantly fall into the same trap. And so nearly every time they did, God would allow them to be oppressed by another nation or another people group. And, and, and so here we are in the book of Judges, and the writer tells us that God has basically taken his hand off of the Israelites, and he's, around, he's allowed them to be harassed by the people of Midian for seven years. And the Midianites, I mean, they were cruel, they were ruthless, and they were constantly forcing the Israelites into hiding. The Israelites hid in caves, they hid in mountain clefts, they hid anywhere they could, could find to hide. But they were always hiding. And so every time the Israelites would plant crops, here comes the Midianites. They would come in, they would destroy their crops. They would kill their cattle. They would kill their sheep. I mean, they would just ravage everything in sight. And they just kept terrorizing the Israelites over and over and over and over again. And so here we get into chapter 6, and we find this guy by the name of Gideon, who's really obscure. We don't even know why. But he's hiding in a wine press, and he's threshing wheat. And then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord comes upon him sits down next to him underneath this tree that's owned by his father, Joash. And here are the words that he says to him. Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty man of valor, mighty hero. I want you to know, Gideon, the Lord is with you. Now, if there was ever a moment in Gideon's life that he did not feel like a mighty warrior, this is the moment. I mean, he's hiding, he's scared, he's frightened that, he, that the enemy is going to destroy his family's food crop, his family's food supply. However, notice that, that God says, Gideon, the Lord is with you. And that's important because the angel identifies the source of Gideon's might and his strength. And look at how Gideon responds to the angel in verse 13. And Gideon says to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why is all this stuff happening to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And God says, Gideon says, I mean, Lord, if you're truly with us, if the Lord's with us, then, then, then what's going on here? Why are our enemies being allowed to overpower us? Why have they been allowed to destroy our crops? Why have they been allowed to kill our livestock? And, and what about the miracles that God performed for the, for the Israelites in the past, you know, when he led them out of Egypt. You know, I've, I grew up hearing these stories, but I'm not seeing that kind of power. Promises that, that he's written in, 
in, in the Torah to, to us, I mean, that we would be his chosen generation. I, I don't get it, angel of the Lord. What, what's going on here? Have you ever been in a moment where you've allowed your circumstances to overwhelm you to the point that you question God's presence? Even though you can look back at his faithfulness, you're, you're, here you are at this moment, you're, you're trapped wondering, Lord, are, are you really faithful? Are your promises really true? I, I don't know about you, I've had moments like that. Have you, have you ever had a moment where your circumstances have literally caused you to be paralyzed in fear? I have. I've had moments like that. But because of their sinfulness, God takes his hand off of Israel. But what you need to know here is that God never took his hand off of Gideon. God had a purpose. He had a plan for Gideon's life. Some, he saw something in this man that Gideon could not see in himself. Look at verse 14. It says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in, in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And the message here is clear. Go in the strength of God and rescue the Israelites from the Midianites. However, Gideon is so consumed by fear and so overwhelmed by the strength of his enemies that he could not see God and couldn't see that God had the ability to work through him to save the people. I mean, listen, it's so easy. It's so easy for any of us to get trapped in the moment, to be so overwhelmed by our present circumstances that we actually question if God is still with us. God, are you faithful? Can you handle my issues? Are you stronger than my problems? And Lord, how in the world, how in the world could you truly ever use me? And this is where Gideon's living right here. He has seen the strength of his enemies. I mean, he, he knows exactly what they have done to the Israelites in the past. He's, he's had seven years of watching it, but he can't see beyond the present. And so as a result, he's scared to death. Even though God has sent an angel, a personal messenger, angels, like we, we just sang about, angel armies by his side, who has communicated to him, God sees you as a mighty warrior, a warrior that, that he's actually commissioned to lead the Israelites to defeat the Midianites. But, 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 but Gideon can't see it. He's overwhelmed by his circumstances. He's paralyzed by fear. He's crippled by discouragement. And I know that some of you, this is where you're living right now. I mean, it's actually even a miracle that you're here this morning. I'm sure when the alarm clock went off this morning, I mean, you went to bed last night and you said, God, let's see how I feel this morning. And you got up and you were overwhelmed with fear. Your circumstances are, make you feel paralyzed right now. You are just overwhelmed with discouragement. Some of you are, are in depression. And quite honestly, it took, it took an act of God to get you here this morning. And it took about two songs in or even after the offering before you actually felt like, okay, I think I can relax a little bit mo- for a moment. Listen, if, you're, if that's you, keep listening keep listening. Because the Bible also tells us that not only was he overwhelmed by his circumstances, but he felt very inadequate and very insecure. Judges 15, he said to him, listen, please, Lord, how how can I save the Israelites? This is Gideon talking. He says, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. In other words, God, my clan, my kinfolk, my peep group over here, we're, we're, we're not warriors. We're not fighters. We're farmers. And we're barely, we're, I mean, we're, we're just barely getting by. We're, we're struggling to make ends meet. We grow wheat. And, and God, by the way, if you haven't noticed, when it comes to me, I'm not the leader. I'm not, there's nothing special about me. Matter of fact, just, just go ahead and ask my family. They'll tell you. They don't see much in me. 
And some of you may be able, you may be able to identify with Gideon at this moment. I mean, you, you, maybe you've come from a very difficult family situation, one that has for years that has just beaten you down. You've, you've been told all of your life that, that you're worthless, that you're a zero like Gideon. You, I mean, you, you see yourself as the weakest link in your family. And all of this has just caused you, it's just built up over the years and it's caused you to feel insecure, it's caused you to feel, just be full of doubt, it's caused you to feel inadequate. And some of you this morning, again, you're overwhelmed with the feeling of, of inadequacy this morning. For some of you, it's, just, it's paralyzed you. It's the excuse. It's the excuse that's holding you back from being all that God has created you to be. It's like every time you take two steps forward, boom, feelings of doubt, feelings of fear, just knock you right back. You take three steps back. Listen, I got a word for you this morning. Those feelings, they're not from God. They don't come from him. You say, how do you know they're not from God? Listen, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for, not, for God, he's talking to believers, for God has not given you, given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but what? A spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Listen to what author... And and Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous pastor of the Westminster Chapel, says about fear. He says, when a man is defeated by life, it is always due ultimately to the fact that he is suffering from a spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is real, the ultimate cause of all failure in life and all unhappiness. Listen, God wants us to live... He wants us to live in a spirit of power. He wants us to be filled with love for others. He, he, he gives us the power to have self-control over the things that come against us, the temptations that come against us. He didn't rescue you from your sin and save you from an eternity of being lost and give you his Holy Spirit so you could walk through this life passive and timid and scared. So what do I do when I feel those feelings, when I feel insecure, when I feel inadequate, when I'm just, I'm paralyzed with doubt? Here's what you do. You cast all those cares on Jesus. And you draw your strength from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you. And by faith, you believe God's truth and you embrace his faithfulness and you embrace his promises. See, when you are a child of God, even though, even though it happens, we have no excuses to be paralyzed by fear. We have no excuses to be trapped by insecurities. And that's not a guilt trip. I'm just telling you, we have a power that lives inside of us that is greater than our fears, that's greater than our insecurities, that's great, greater than our doubts and our worries. So how did God help Gideon? How did God help Gideon to conquer these fears that were just paralyzing him? Here's what he did first. He, he continued to reassure him of his presence. I mean, three times in this chapter, God assures him of his presence and he tells him he's gonna be with him. You don't have to be worried about your enemy. You don't have to be worried about going into this battle alone. Judges 6, 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Judges 6, 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Judges 6, 16. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you will strike the Midianites as one man. Listen, you can be sure that if God calls you to do something, He's not only going to give you the strength and the courage to do it, but he's going to be with you. He will give you his sustaining grace. I love this quote that was on our church's Facebook page a few weeks ago from Billy Graham. It says, the will of God will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. Isn't that awesome? The will of God cannot take us, will not take us, where the grace of God cannot sustain us. 
Listen, we could look at so many verses. I could spend the rest of the morning just quoting verses that are in this, in this book up here that just remind us over and over again of the presence of God in our lives. But for Gideon here, listen, words were not quite enough. Gideon needed proof. He needed to know for sure that if he was going to throw himself out there, if he was going to lead the Israelites to fight his enemies, he, he had to know that God was truly with him. His doubt, his fears, it caused him to feel like, Lord, I need some visible, I need some tangible proof that you're really going to be with me. So what did he do? Well, he said, God, you've got to give me a sign. You have to show me that, that you're truly, truly talking to me. I mean, how many of you have ever done something like that before? I mean, you're like, God, I, I, I hear you calling me to do something, but I need, I need to see something like right in front of me. All right, I need to see something tangible that I can get my hands around. Now, Paul Richardson talked about this particular moment last week, and I, I realize that many of you probably weren't here last week, and, or, but some of you, I'm just going to refresh you. Gideon's having this interaction with the angel of the Lord, and he says, angel, don't, don't go anywhere until I bring my offering back to you. I'm, I'm going to go get an offering. And, and the angel actually instructs him on what kind of offering to bring. Go get a young goat. Go get some unleavened bread. And I want you to come with a pot with broth in it. And I want you to take the meat. I want you to take the bread. I want you to put it on a rock. And I want you to pour the broth over it. And Gideon does that, steps back, and the angel touches the rock with a staff that is in his hand, and fire comes up from the rock and consumes the meat, consumes the bread, and sops up all of the broth. Now, Gideon, at this moment, he has a charismatic moment. All right, you can read about it. All right? Then the angel tells him, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the second best bull from your father's herd. Why not the first? I don't know. Just this is what he's telling him. Seven years old. Why not six? Why not eight? I don't know. He wants seven. All right. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. Cut down the Asherah poles, which is also another idol. Cut it down, the one that's standing behind it. And then I want you to build an altar to the Lord, and I want you to sacrifice the bull. And the Bible says he did, but if you remember from last week, he did it at night. Why did he do all of this at night? Because he, he was afraid. So the next morning, the people find out that their, their, their altar to Baal has been torn down, their Asherah poles have been torn down, and they discover that Gideon's the culprit, and what do they want? They want him dead. Georgia fans, it would be like you go into a game and someone has torn and, and set all the hedges on fire in Sanford Stadium, all right? It's like, going to, it's like all of a sudden NASCAR, you know, it's like the Daytona 500's coming up, and you're a NASCAR fan, and someone's burned down the Daytona Motor Speedway, all right? Some of you are going, oh, oh my God. Golf fans, it'd be like someone just setting, the Masters is coming up this weekend, some of you cannot wait, and it's like somebody has just completely tore up and drove their car through Augusta, I mean, the, the, wherever they play, the, what do we call that golf course, all right, just tore it up, all right? It'd be like Georgia Tech fans, somebody just destroying the rambling wreck. I mean, I, whatever it is that you worship, it, that, this is the kind of the thing that's going on here, okay? The Israelites have just had their place of worship torn down. The Baal altar, the Asherah pole, gone, and they're fired up. They want, they want someone's head on a platter. But this is an interesting moment because, because Joash, Gideon's father, who owned, who had set up the altar in the first place, he steps in and he says, listen, if this false prophet, if this false god is so, it, Baal is so powerful, then let him defend himself. And of course, Baal never shows up to defend himself. 
And so in verse 32, the people says, therefore, in that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel, which is to say, let Baal contend against himself because he broke down his altar. Well, in the meantime, the Bible gives us a little backstory that's going on. The Midianites and the Amalekites and the others, other enemy nations, they're forming an alliance and they're crossing over the Jordan River. Why? Because they're getting ready to attack the Israelites once again. And I love what happens here. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. All right? And, he, and, he, and, the, and Gideon blows a ram's horn. Okay? We don't know if he knew how to blow the ram's horn before, but now that he's got the Spirit of the Lord inside of him, he's blowing it. All right? So he calls the clans of Israel to come together, and sure enough, what happens? The Israelites, they start forming, and they start, they start coming together by clan, and they start gathering together to fight. But there's a problem. There's a huge problem going on here. The man who the angel has called the mighty warrior, the mighty man of valor, the mighty hero, he's struggling with doubt and fear. And Gideon is not only struggling with what to do. I mean, Gideon, Gideon's not struggling with what to do here. What, what he's struggling with is, Lord, I, I just need to know once again, are you actually going to come through for me? Are you really, truly going to use me? Before I lead this army, I want to make sure that you're going to be fighting with me. And so how does God respond to Gideon's fears? God met two fleeces that Gideon put before him. Some of you have heard, I'm going to set out a fleece before God. This is where the story comes from. Gideon says, God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel, as you promised, here's here's what I'm going to need for you to do for me. I'm going to take this piece of wool, this fleece here, and, and, I, and I'm going to put it on the floor. And if tomorrow when I wake up, all right, the, flo- the fleece is damp and the floor is dry, I'll know that you're with me. And I love the way Judges 38 just starts off. It just says, and it was so. When he rose early next morning and he squeezed the fleece, all right, he, 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 he wrings it out, enough dew from the fleece comes out and it fills up a bowl of water. Now, at this point, you would think, okay, Gideon, you've seen enough here. God's done some really crazy miracles here with the whole rock thing and the fire coming up from the rock. and all. I mean, he saved you from the people who wanted to kill you, and now you've just seen the whole fleece number one. But that wasn't the case because this is exactly what Gideon says to God. Okay, God, don't get angry with me. All right? Don't, don't get angry with me. I need to see just a little bit more of your power. I need to be really, really, really sure that you're actually with me. I'm so grateful that God is patient with us, aren't you? And he, so Gideon says, I'm, I'm going to lay the fleece on the ground again, on the wet ground this time. And if in the morning the ground is wet and the wool is dry, then I'll really know that you're with me. Verse 40, and God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground and on all the ground, there was dew. Now, I, I think most of us in this room, I mean, we, we can relate to Gideon. God's called you to do something, but fear's paralyzed you. And you're like, God, I'll do whatever you ask, but you have to show me that you're with me first before I take a step. God, I know that all the promises, I know that the promises in this book, I, I, I know that they're true, and you actually have a track record. I mean, if I were to really think about it, you, are, you have a, a track record of being really, really, really faithful in my life. But I need some guarantees and assurances before I can move. God, I know that you're so powerful, but, and, and you can do all things, but 
I am trapped in my insecurities. I am trapped in my doubts. I am trapped in my fears. Listen, there's so much to learn from this one chapter in the book of Judges, this one man's life. And quite honestly, we haven't even gotten to the best part of the story. But what can we learn here? First of all, God looks at the person we are becoming, not just the person we are right now. When Gideon looked in the mirror, I want to tell you what he saw. He saw a man who was insecure. He saw a man who was scared, who could hardly support his family. He saw a man that his family saw as a disappointment and a failure. However, when God looked at Gideon and just looked at, what did he, he saw a mighty warrior. He saw Gideon not as a, as a frightened man hiding in a wine press. He saw Gideon as a mighty hero. He saw Gideon as a military strategist, a man that could lead 300 men to fight thousands and still win. And I want you to know something. That's how God sees you this morning. That's how God sees you. God sees you as a person, the person that you are becoming, not the person that you are right now. How do you know that? Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure that God who began a good work within you will continue to, uh, to his work until it finally is finished on the day when Christ Jesus comes back again. You say, how could that be? How, how, how could God see all of this in me? No one's ever seen that before. Here's why. Because when God looks at you, Christ follower, he sees Jesus. When he looks for righteousness, he's not looking at your righteousness. It's not good enough. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. When you look at your own holiness, you go, what a failure. God sees the very holiness of Jesus. And just so we're clear in here this morning, in order for God to use us, we we have to take a step of faith. We, We have to be obedient. But apart from Jesus, again, you can do nothing. And here's what God also knows. He knows you've been empowered with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left the earth, he told his disciples, listen, he said, there's going to be a power that's going to come, that's going to follow me, and that's going to empower you to do greater things than if I were actually with you in the flesh. I mean, the whole book of Acts is all about God's spirit coming upon a group that called the apostles and the other followers of Christ so they could be fearless, so they could start a church, so they could spread the gospel beyond Jerusalem and reach the Gentiles. When God calls someone to do something for him, he's not looking for the best looking or for the wealthiest or the smartest or the perfect. No, that's how we judge each other. That's sometimes what we're looking for. What God's looking for is the faithful. He's looking for the obedient. He knows our potential. He knows what can happen when a sold out follower of Jesus gets filled up with the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons why I love this book so much is it's just chock full of story after story after story of God taking messed up, insecure, insignificant people and using him, using them for his glory. And when I read it, I realize there's hope for me. I realize there's hope for all of us. See, God sees our potential and who we're becoming, not just who we are at the moment. Thank God. Aren't you glad of that? The fact that God has filled us, listen, the fact that God has filled us with the Holy Spirit because of Jesus, eliminates all our excuses to be used by him, to take a step of faith. Second thing I get out of this is that God is big enough to handle our tough questions and our moments of unbelief and our our uncertainties. I, I, I know that many of us, like me, I mean, we've been taught never, ever, ever question God. Or we've been taught to feel guilty when we struggle with moments of uncertainty or even moments of unbelief. But I want you to know, 
God understands our questions. He's big enough to handle our moments of, uns- of, of, of uncertainty, and, and, and he's big enough to handle even our moments of fear and doubt and insecurity. I, I, from, from September 2012 to May 2013, I, I, most of you remember, I mean, we, we went through a season here where we had three staff-related deaths in this church. And not only, we were, we were just coming off the heels of two of our staff members having really tough bouts with cancer. We were going through some other things. And I remember pastor friends of mine just saying, dude, I have never seen any church go through anything like that in a short, in that kind of period of time. You know, I mean, it, it, was, it, it was really crazy. And with each funeral, I, I would sit right over here and I would just sit there and i go, Lord, this doesn't make any sense at all. This is the kind of stuff I don't understand. I know you're here. I know you love us. I know that you, you're faithful, but Lord, I don't get this. Now, now, years ago, I would have felt guilty about, I mean, I would have been sitting there going, okay, Lord, I know if I think this, you're going to strike me with lightning, but, but over the last several years, as I've walked through many tough moments with many of you and as, as I've been through my own tough moments of suffering, I've learned that God can handle our questions. God's big enough to handle our fears. He can handle my doubts. And we see it. He proves it right here in this story. Through all of his doubts, all of his fears, all of his questions, God shows Gideon, listen, I understand you. I created you. I get you. It's okay to have moments of uncertainty. Why? Because God knew in his knowledge, because God is sovereign. He knew that his questioning, his doubts, his uncertainties were ultimately going to lead him to take a step of faith. See, God's big enough to handle all of our, all of our moments of fear and our moments of unbelief and our uncertainties. But listen, don't let yourself live there for too long. Don't let yourself be paralyzed and trapped by fear. I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I, you may have heard me say this before, every Sunday morning, before I come out of this little room I have back over here, I, I put my head against the wall. Our elders come in and they pray for me and everybody leaves. And I just, I just have this moment where I just say the same thing every Sunday. Lord, this is not an audience to be feared, but a family to be loved. And then I just say to God, Lord, I'm just not that good. And I am insecure at this moment. And I'm a bit fearful. The only thing I've got good going on inside of me is Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm counting on that fully for you to do something. Just, I'm just asking you'll use me. God's big enough to handle our doubts. He's big enough to handle our insecurities. He's big enough to handle the uncertainties in our lives. And then the third thing, and I love this, when your faith is greater than your fears, God's Spirit is able to do some amazing things in and through our lives. Listen, after Gideon tore down the altar to Baal and offered a sacrifice to God, I want you to look again at what happens in verse 34. It says, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet, all right? And the Asbarites were called out to follow him. When Gideon tore down that altar, do you think he was scared? Absolutely. That's why he needed more proof that God was, was gonna be with him. But you know what I love about this guy? He did it anyways. He just kept moving forward. He just kept taking a step of faith. I mean, for this man to offer to God a young goat, a bull, it was a huge sacrifice. 
I mean, this was enough food to feed his family for months. I mean, for him to tear down his father's altar and then replace it with his own, with, with, with God's altar, and, and, and then tear down the Asherah pole, I mean, that was a death sentence. And yet, in spite of all that he was feeling, he just kept moving forward, and, and, and he just kept obeying God's command. And the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Listen, Gideon's story is not over. Next week, I'm just telling it's the best part of the story. You don't want to miss next week, okay? I don't know where you're If you're going to Panama City, come home early, all right? Gideon's story is not over, and I want you to know something. I don't care what you're feeling right now. Your story's not over either. You with me? Your story's not over. We're going to see next week how, how God finishes out this story and how God uses Gideon to defeat the Midianites, and he does it in a way that only God could do. But I'm inspired by this guy's courage. A few weeks ago, as you know, I was in Cuba. And um, on the Tuesday, the first Tuesday we, that we were there, we, were, we went to, to, a, to a church to, to train a bunch of, of pastors, and, and their wives actually showed up, and it was really cool. And we sat there for about an hour. They were late. And we thought, okay, well, this day is going to maybe be a wash. We're going to go sightseeing. And all of a sudden this bus pulls up. And I'm talking about, you've got to understand, in, in Cuba, they drive cars from America that were made before the revolution. So anything before, what, a 61, whatever. There's some cool cars over there. This was a cool bus. This was a jacked up 1950s bus. I don't know how they made this thing, but it was crazy looking. And they came in. This bus was packed. It had bench seats on the inside, okay? And everyone else sat on the floor. They traveled for seven hours to get to where we were and then sat there and listened to six hours of teaching and then traveled seven hours home. Was there any complaining? No. Listen, we actually, at one point in this t- time, we had a little lunch with them and then we went up in this, in this upper room of this church and had a prayer meeting with them. And I want to tell you something. As I'm listening to these pastors who, listen, their lives every single day are at risk. Some of these guys shared with us that the day previous they were in jail. And I'm listening to them pray and I'm listening to them call out to God and share their stories and I'm just saying, Lord, please, would you help me to have that same desperation? Would you help me to have that same kind of faith? Would you help me to have the same kind of boldness? Would you help me? Lord, seven hours in a bad bus, six hours of price and bad teaching, seven hours home, these guys would have, they would have come back the next day. Every day at risk. See, when we trust God in the midst of our doubts and our fears, we open up a window for God to do the amazing in and through us. And for some of you, the only thing that is holding God back from using you in a powerful way is your fear. It's your fear. But listen, when your faith is bigger than your fear, watch out. Watch out. There's a story in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus is with his disciples And Jesus wants to get away from them. He needed a break. If I was with those guys for a long time, I would need a break too. So he he gets away and he tells them, I want you to get in the boat and I want you to meet me on the other side of the sea. And they're like, what? Yep, meet me on the other side. So he disappears. These guys get in the boat. They're trying to get the other side. They come upon this huge storm. The waves are crashing into the side of the boat. They're scared to death. And all of a sudden... They look out and they see a figure coming towards them and they're, now they're even more frightened because what are they, what, I mean, come on, you've seen the movie. I mean, it's a ghost. You've read the story. 
And all of a sudden, as a figure comes closer, they recognize that it's Jesus. And I love Jesus' words. He says, don't be afraid. It's all right. I'm here. So what does Peter do? He pulls a Gideon. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out and walk on the water. And I love Jesus' response. All right? Come on. That's how I read it. All right? Come on. And Peter gets out of the boat. He doesn't, he doesn't cannonball. He, he doesn't two feet. I mean, he just, he doesn't run at the end of the boat and go, you know, dive. He just, one foot. One foot, and then the next foot, and the next thing you know, he's walking on the water. Then the Bible tells us he looks around, he sees the high waves, he gets scared, he starts to sink, and he cries out, save me, Lord. Now, when nor- normally when you hear that story, if you've ever heard it before, wh- what, what does the pastor focus on? Peter's lack of faith. Peter's fear. Peter's doubts. Peter's insecurities. But you know what I, you know what I, when I, when I see when I read this story? I don't see anyone else getting out of the boat. He at least had the faith to take one foot and put it onto the water. And when he did, he got a chance to see the amazing. And then he got to spend the rest of his life telling people, hey, I got to walk on water. No, you're the disciple that denied Jesus three times. Yes, but I'm also the one that walked on the water. Peter saw the amazing because he was willing to get out of the boat and take a step towards Jesus. Some of you are paralyzed this morning by your fear. Take a step. Some of you are trapped in your doubts and your insecurities. Take a step. Trust God. Choose to let your faith in God be greater than your circumstances and your doubts and your, and your discouragement and your moments of fear. As David was running from his enemies, his son after just terrible moments of sin. Here's what he writes in Psalm chapter 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be what? Afraid. I don't know about you. I have my moments. Fear, doubt, uncertainty, insecurities feeling very inadequate. But I'm reminded there's moments, I think God allows us to have moments like this. So we'll just put our eyes on Jesus and we'll just take one step. Just one step. And I believe for you this morning, listen, God, God's not asking you to cannonball. He's not asking you to stand at the back of the stand, jump in. He, he's just, would you just take a step? No more excuses. I've given you I've given you salvation. I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit. I've given you story after story after story of my faithfulness and my goodness. You see the promises. If you look back at your life, you'll see this. this even as your life has done this, you'll see this. just this steady string of faithfulness. Just take a step. Every day, just take a step. I want you to bow your head. I know we sing these songs all the time, and we sang one a moment ago, and we're going to sing it again. I know who is standing behind me. I know who goes in front of me. It's the God of angels' armies.
on my side. Nothing formed against me can stand. Not because of you, but because of the God of angels' armies, because of the Jesus that lives inside of you, because of the Holy Spirit that's filling you. And that should cause us to worship this morning. That should empower us to walk out of this building and to be bold and confident. So Lord, would you help us in spite of our fears and our doubts and our insecurities and our moments of knowing that we're inadequate. As we look back, Lord, at our present and even in our past, may we see, Lord, a future in front of us and even a moment today where, Lord, we just take a step of faith because we realize, Lord, that when our faith is greater than our fears, you're able to do the amazing. And Lord, would you let us see that today for your glory, for your renown, for your name. Let's stand. Let's worship. And worship, thinking about these words, sing them as if you mean them this morning. Not just as, a, as another song that we sing, just to get out of here, or just, you know, like this, uh, here's another song that I've heard on the radio or wherever. No, sing them as if they're true this